Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, ideas and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week we are talking about the German bomb or maybe the European bomb. The background to this is a new and heated debate that has erupted around Germany, the place which is much better known for discussions about nuclear disarmament and nuclear free zones. Um, Shortly before the American election, uh, there was an article in the Spiegel online calling for the idea of a a German uh, nuclear deterrent. And after Trump's election, there have been a number of other contributions. The two most uh, visible ones were a statement by Rodrich Kiesewetter, who's a member of parliament from the ruling uh, Christian Democratic Union and is also uh, a spokesperson for the CDU on foreign policy and a former chairman of the nuclear disarmament uh, group in the, in the parliament and even actually a former soldier who uh, called for Germany to take part in developing a European nuclear deterrent. But an even more uh, bold proposal has been made by one of the editors, publishers of the conservative-leaning Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, Bertolt Kula, who uh, wrote an op-ed talking about the dangerous new uh, environment that is taking place and arguing that Germany should actually not just increase its defence spending and bring conscription back, but actually develop a, a German nuclear deterrent. We will be talking to a very distinguished uh, panel to, to help us make sense of this. First up is uh, Josef Janning, who is one of the co-directors of ECFR's office in Berlin and a senior policy fellow at ECFR. We also have Jana Kuglierin, who is the head of the Alfred Oppenheimer Center for European Studies at the German Council on Foreign Relations. Not quite right. What was, what's the exact title? Uh, the Alfred von Oppenheimer Center for European Policy Studies. Excellent. Thank you. And returning to the podcast, another ECFR council member and uh, legend when it comes to describing European and, and, and foreign policy in France, Christine Urkrent. So, um, Jana, why don't you, because um, uh, you used to work for, for Mr. Kieseretter, why don't you start by telling us about the contours of this debate which has erupted? Well, um there was a huge debate um, within NATO for a long time how to react um, uh, with the um, Russia threat and the modernization uh, program um, going on in Russia. And a lot of uh, people in Germany, although not publicly, uh, debated whether NATO should um, prepare itself and revise the nuclear strategy. And now we have a completely new situation. Um, we have the Trump threat that Trump um, wants uh, or is not or might not provide any longer the nuclear shield uh, that provided security for Europe. And with this threat ahead, people like Roderich Kiesewetter thought how to secure uh, Europe in the future. And yeah, then they thought about a European or a German nuclear option, nuclear shield to protect Europe, even in the absence of the United States. Um, what's the, the reaction been from other sources? Do people, has there been a 
an outcry of support for this? <laughs> well, I would I would say uh, quite the contrary. Um, this is Roderich Kiesewetter kind of broken utter to boo uh, in Germany because, uh, as you as you said in your kind introduction, Germany is um, well known for being an advocate for non-proliferation, for global zero, and there were um, quite famous people like Wolfgang Ischinger already saying this is a huge uh, mistake. The debate is going in the totally wrong direction, sending the wrong message to the U.S. The wrong message. To, uh, to Russia, and I think, um, but but Roderich Kiesewetter addressed the elephant in the room, in my opinion. I think we have to talk about this and um, at least address the the, the problem ahead. I mean, uh, if Trump will will um, end the nuclear uh, option for for Europe or end nuclear sharing uh, within NATO or whatever, then we have a problem. So, Josef, do you think we should get a German bomb or, or a European bomb? I don't think we should get a German bomb, um, not least because, you know, in the last formal uh, treaty that deals with Germany's uh, international policy, the 2 plus 4 treaty, ending kind of this post-war uh, status of divided Germany, Germany reconfirmed again that it would never seek uh, possession or control of nuclear or other non-conventional weapons. But I think uh, there is good reason for the Europeans to reflect among themselves uh, whether they would not need a nuclear deterrent and whether they not actually already have one yes. uh, which only doesn't, doesn't uh, label as one, uh, which is in particular uh, the, the nuclear capabilities of the United Kingdom and France. And in particular uh, France, because France has uh, more times than Britain looked as, at its mutual assured destruction capacity as a sort of a European uh, instrument in the hands of France, something that belongs to the French um, uh, nation, but has its purpose in Europe. And I think this is actually uh, a very uh, wise and, and solid statement. And that is something to be considered uh, as uh, a more clear uh, and an explicit European asset, even though it will continue to be owned and uh, managed by France alone. So I, I'd like to, to bring in Christine to talk about the, the French situation, but maybe before that, Josef, you could tell us a bit more about how this Europeanization of the French deterrent would work. Is your idea simply that Germany writes out a fat check to, to Paris and London every year in order to, to, to buy shares in this deterrent? Or, I mean, how, how does this work? Well, I don't think it works at all. Uh, I mean, it's just a scheme because, after all, uh, both the British and the French nuclear uh, deterrents are very much linked to NATO. Uh, it took the French, you know, many decades to actually uh, agree to the fact that their own nuclear deterrents on its own uh, was getting obsolete and wouldn't make sense in strategic terms. And it took, uh, you know, after the goal and all the grand um, discourse about French uh, nuclear independence, which is very, which runs very deep, by the way, in, in how the French think of uh, their own country. But still, uh, I think the, uh, the, the mere fact that the topic is being risen in Germany uh, has to do with America first with Mr. Trump and it also has to do with Brexit because there's no way at all we as Europeans can actually strengthen our defense capacities be they conventional or nuclear without the Brits 
And so we get back to that sort of British quagmire. But just one point which really surprised me, you know, trying to get a little bit more uh, ready for this uh, discussion, I, I looked up uh, on, on some facts in French, French language. So I googled, like anybody else, and all I could find in French was actually Russian propaganda literature in French, uh, discussing about, uh, you know, the sort of uh, German uh, nuclear bomb and even asserting that uh, the current uh, German president, Mr. Glauch, was actually supporting the idea. And so it's just a side comment, but it shows the extent of the uh, misinformation or the sort of post-fact world that we are getting into. So, so Josef, you're the, the, you seem to be more less skeptical about the idea than, than Jana did about the, uh, was about the idea of, and then Christine was. I mean, how, how do you see it working, the idea of, well, of Europeanizing the French and British nuclear deterrence? First of all, I'm, I'm not so skeptical because it is not without precedent. You know, within NATO, we also have, at, in part driven even by Washington, we had the nuclear planning group and the idea to involve more NATO partners than those holding nuclear weapons uh, to get engaged on this. So to share the strategic rationality that comes with the possession of nuclear weapons with a wider group of allies, not with everyone, but with those whose uh, responsibility one would like to kind of shape. Secondly, in the Franco-German relationship, there have been at least two advances by the French president to reach out to the German side and say, look, can you imagine a form of contribution, also meaning a financial contribution, to the modernization of the force de frappe, because after all, that force de frappe has a European dimension. And it happened also in the context of the, of the redesigning of the French uh, nuclear force, because as you know, France used to have shorter range nuclear missiles, which could only explode over Germany, which was a major concern to the Germans. And eventually France uh, dismantled these. And at the time, you know, it, uh, this was in, in, in the French reasoning, it was a perfectly rational choice to ask the Germans whether they wanted to share a bit of the burden of this, uh, but also being involved in the political responsibility that comes with it. From the German side, um, this was not um, well received because it was politically too complicated uh, to engage on that. And but expensive. And, and expensive, expensive. And expensive, with no you know, immediate return. But the, the, the reason why the German debate gets back to it is because uh, we see being closer to East Central Europe, we see all of the strategic dilemmas that open up with a situation with the American president taking a new view uh, on Article 5, and all of a sudden we find uh, that we have lost escalation dominance, which was very important in strategic terms. We have lost the ability to respond to any possible or foreseeable conventional military threat with an appropriate means. And if we don't have that, that was our uh, decades-old strategic uh, certainty, we would lose the credibility of the American nuclear umbrella. Because America would not want to be forced to disproportionately escalate a conflict 
by using nuclear weapons because we were lacking the conventional areas in between. So this is what brings up the debate, is the recognition now that actually our defenses on our eastern flank are too weak. Uh, and the uh, previous schemes of providing uh, deterrence do not really work that way once exposed by the, the, the view that the current or co incoming American administration takes on the issue. So, Jana, you were desperate to come in while Josef was speaking. No, I just wanted to, to explain that uh, this whole debate is just a minority debate and it's totally disconnected from the German public because 90% of the Germans out there, they, they um, support the idea of global zero, they want to end nuclear sharing in Germany. Apparently and that was 85% still against the deployment of American nuclear yeah, weapons. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was a consensus in the German Bundestag, all political parties agreed to go yeah. for a global that zero. Being said, and there yeah. was never a majority in favor of the euro. But or was in the old coalition treaty that we end nuclear sharing with the FDP, FDP and the CDU. Yeah. That was agreed on uh, that uh, yeah, Germany would, would go for an, an ending nuclear sharing in Europe. Yeah. So you think it's a terrible idea? No, I don't. I don't think. I, th I think it's. Uh, I think Ulrich Kiesewetter has a, a good strategic point here, and I think we have to address this. And the problem is that I mean, but how, but how do you want to address it? If I would, I would, I would prefer a, a NATO solution first, and there. I mean, the British and the French uh, nukes are already part of uh, a European deterrence strategy. It's in the Ottawa uh, Declaration. It uh, was uh, reconfirmed at the Warsaw Summit. So I would prefer a NATO option. But if there is none, I would agree with Josef here that we have to um, to create uh, a European one. Wow, that's a big change, isn't it? But it, it's quite <laughs> surprising, even from a soldier turned politician, uh, that he would actually venture this idea in an election year. Because how, I mean, in any of our countries, I mean, this is just unsustainable. You, first of all, we got, I mean, our politicians don't even dare talk about the need uh, to expand our defense budgets, you know, just to meet the requirements uh, of uh, the sort of uh, intra-European agreement. Uh, I mean, in the French uh, forthcoming elections, yeah. I bet no one will say... Jeremy Corbyn has been quite busy saying that he wouldn't use the British nuclear deterrent if he ever became Prime Minister. So maybe he, yes, he could offer it to nobody the believes, <laughs> As nobody believes that he will ever become Prime Minister, it's quite irrelevant. <laughs> no, but maybe it's a new bargaining tip in the Brexit debate now. I mean, the... the, the Foreign power, uh, UK as a foreign power has, um, I think, a stronger position now so with the Trump election. Offer, offer shares in the nuclear deterrent against um, freedom of movement. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, that should be included in the Brexit debate. But so how do you, how do, what happens is, is this just something which dominated the headlines for a few days and will kind of disappear? Or do you think this is something which is going to become a really serious debate? Because the fact that the German public is against it, I mean, joking aside, doesn't necessarily mean very much. The German public was against the euro and the euro happened. The German public was against Pershing missiles and Pershing missiles happened. The German public was against uh, many things which the German elite has, um, has, has had a consensus around. And um, these things have a, a habit of, of happening if there is a kind of elite consensus. But it sounds like from what you're saying is that we're a long way even from an elite consensus at the moment. 
It depends if you talk about a German nuclear option or a European nuclear yeah. option. I think a German nuclear option is completely off the table, also not only for the 2 plus 4 treaty, but also for the NPT treaty. I mean, we are a member of the MP NPT treaty. We are a very proud member, and I think we, 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 we won't blow up this treaty. So, um, But for a European nuclear option, I think we should debate this more um, also in NATO now. We should have done that a long um, time ago because, I mean, while we are talking here about uh, there, whether there is a, a European option or not, um, uh, Russia uh, has a, a modernization process going on, a nuclear a modernization, huge one, huge one concerning yeah. strategic and uh, technical nukes. So um, we should do something about this. I think one of the effects is that people actually discovered that something like a nuclear deterrence capability exists in Europe. I mean, people may be aware of that in France or Britain, but not so much the wider public outside of it. Other than that, I think it will quickly disappear, but what will stay is a focus on saying, assuming that relations go sour uh, on uh, our eastern neighborhood. They already do in the south. Uh, how well are we prepared to um, signal to anyone out there um, not to consider attacking Europe or European countries in any way. And that's, I believe, where, the, where the, the, the real debate then starts unfolding, because then we will discover that we're actually not very well prepared, and that possibly also this rotation of combat uh, forces now through the Baltic states is more of a fair-weather response than, than we would like it to be. Uh, and that we actually then have to reconsider territorial defense as a uh, significant uh, contingency for NATO and the EU uh, to deal with. And I think that's, that's the real significance of this debate. You know, the, the nuclear thing sort of is part of it and is something that, that pops up that debate and disappears, but the debate itself will then continue. What is very interesting about the debate is no one ever mentions who the enemy is. Well, they talked about Russia quite a lot. So <laughs> let's talk about Russia. Because, you know, who else? I mean, what else? Yeah. Uh, and so that's also an issue because... Actually, uh, I think Kula talked about China as well as another enemy. And, um, well, that would be even more expensive in terms <laughs> of uh, weaponry, uh, I assume. But I think that raising that issue at a time again, and that gets us back to Mr. Trump, uh, where we're all wondering what the new uh, relations are going to be between Washington and, and the Kremlin, and where does Europe stand in that respect? I think that, again, gets us back to square one. Can so I maybe ask the Germans one, one last kind of question before we round off the discussion, which is, it's a really strange thing, because in some ways it's very uncomfortable new territory talking about German nuclear weapons. Um, but at the same time, the way you were taking it feels a bit more comfortable, because uh, Germany has been having this kind of debate on multiple fronts. There was a sort of expeditionary Germany, you know, sending troops into Mali, getting more involved in Iraq and in Afghanistan. Started and in like Kosovo. Indeed. Um, and that was kind of quite shocking and kind of difficult um, for, for Germany to do. 
um, in some ways, going back to territorial defence is a return to the, the comfort zone. That's one of the interesting things about, about Bertolt Kohler's piece is that he was talking about reintroducing conscription, which was very much central to the post-war German idea of a kind of citizen's army and, you know, rather than the kind of professional army. Um, I mean, where does this go? It's very difficult to read exactly where your debate about foreign policy is, is going. There's more activism, but some of it is returning to more traditional ideas of a kind of NATO that's about territorial defence and and uh, staying in inside the area rather than... Uh, the. There was a former German foreign minister who said that, that our security started in, in the Hindu Kush, wasn't there? wasn't necessarily one of the more popular statements from German politicians, but... Uh, Maybe just a last word from from the two of you about about where you think um, Germany is going as a kind of defence and security actor. I think we have this new responsibility talk for a while now. We have seen some substance, um, but there are still some huge gaps to close. For example, um, when it comes to our capabilities, the German Bundeswehr, the equipment, and also our political will, um, I don't think um, that we are uh, already a hard security provider um, and playing in the same league as the Brits or, or the French. So the, uh, Germany has still to come a long way, and it's still totally not clear whether it wants to go that way. And um, I think foreign policy elites here they sometimes doubt it. They say maybe we will never arrive at this point and maybe we'll have a work share and burden sharing within Europe. But what this whole debate shows is how much the security circumstances have changed also for Germany and, and that we really are under attack and under a constant threat and we have no clue how to deal with this. As we have in our podcast always these this suggested reading. You know, I would suggest uh, that we should actually read the new white paper um, that Ursula von der Leyen has prepared. You will not have found a white paper that covers the idea of what is the German interest so extensively than this paper has. And it's quite a contrast to the previous or the previous two uh, versions. I think the, the German political elite, not so much the German public yet, but the German political elite is waking up to the fact that uh, territorial defense is something to care about for Europe, and it plays out particularly uh, on the eastern uh, front of the European Union, um, and that Germany actually is the only large EU member state that takes a very strong interest in this. From the German perspective, neither the, the British nor the French have a very significant interest in territorial defense. To them, defense is force projection, mm -hmm. is to defend your interests elsewhere which was, relates to the Hindu Kush uh, uh, statement that Mark was quoting. But you know, now on the German strategic planners table is the issue, how do we effectively organize territorial defense for the eastern flank of NATO or the European Union uh, with this great number of small and very small uh, member states with basically the Germans seeing themselves as the only ones really caring about getting an outcome, uh, you know, achieving something on this. Uh, I don't see that the uh, decision is, is made already which way to take, but I think it, it, is, it stands in front of the policymakers that they have to do something. Okay, so Josef, you slightly preempted my last thing, which was to introduce a bookshelf segment. So you, you're busy reading yeah. the white paper, the right. German white paper. Um, what's on your bookshelf at the moment, Jana? What are you reading? Um, well, actually, 
I read a very old text. Um, I read The Security Dilemma um, uh, by John Hertz um, because um, I, I personally like him a lot and because um, I think this is um, the question we are facing at the moment. If um, because if we think that um, American uh, security umbrella was key for European integration and peaceful Europe, what happens if this umbrella goes away? What about you, Christine? Well, I'm afraid I'm engulfed in French politics, so I'm reading Emmanuel Macron's uh, latest political book, which is supposed to be his political agenda. There isn't much of an agenda, but uh, there's a lot of energy and uh, some degree of optimism. Uh, and he talks about Europe, which is remarkable by any French politician's standard. And what's it called? Uh, en avant la réforme or something. Pas en marche. Ou, pas, ou en marche la réforme, <laughs> ou en marche. Oui. Let's go forward. That's, that's what it says. Okay, and I, what I'll recommend is some of these texts which have been uh, launching this debate. And in fact, before we did, recorded the podcast, I had an email exchange with Bertolt Kohler, who had written the the, uh, the German bomb article in the Frankfurt Allgemeine Zeitung. I hope he won't be offended if I quote it on air because it's so such a funny email. But anyway, he, he was very flattered that I was interested in talking to him, but he said, but my spoken English has become as rusty as a B-52 bomber and I'd definitely not like to ruin my new image as the reborn Dr. Strangelove. But <laughs> for those of you who want to... Uh, <laughs> Who want to read the original words we'll put them up on on the website um, if you've enjoyed this discussion please do uh, give us a review on iTunes and uh, a ranking because that's very helpful or on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast SoundCloud Mixcloud Stitcher whatever it was that brought you to us post about it on your Facebook page write about it on ECFR's Facebook page tweet about it and do send us uh, comments directly. Um, my email is mark.leonard at ecfr.eu. But for now, from Christine O'Krent, Josef Janning, Jana Plugerin, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Ulrike Franke, and the, the producer is Vibke Evering. Mm-hmm.